here. Okay. Last time it just spontaneously popped up. Yeah, yeah, we're good now. Uh, so we're eight seconds in. We're doing a live recording. There are two people here. I see two talking heads. Life is good. All right. So uh, my name is Eric Knaus. I'm in uh, San Marcos, Guatemala on Lake Atitlan. It's a Sunday. No, it's a Saturday morning. It's about 1120. And with me is Eric Shaw. Eric, uh, where are you at this morning? I am in my sparse apartment in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're using the Anchor platform. This is a test and we're going to uh, talk to each other this morning for, I don't know, we'll just see how long we want to go with this. We have a topic we'd like to talk about. And this is the beginning of Eric and I just kind of sorting through what it takes to put a podcast together using the Acre platform, how easy, difficult it is, and uh, just kind of documenting our experiences as we go along. But the topic today is relevant to what we're both interested in, and that is the, uh, can be best described as the practice of pure awareness. And uh, we'll talk about what that means. And uh, uh, so I think what we should do is probably just share a little background first. Eric, if you go first, we got two Erics here, Eric Knaus and Eric Shaw. Uh, Eric Shaw, if you would go first and just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh, why why what we're talking about is, is interesting to you. Um, yeah, uh, I started meditating when I was a young man I'm 57 now and uh, got excited about the analysis of the mind and the world of through Buddhism in my 20s and it seemed very cogent seemed very accurate and so over those in intervening decades I've continued to follow that understanding and explore practices and um, at least at an intellectual level, but I also believe that at a psychic level too, um, enlarge my understanding of those states of awareness which we might call non-local, which are not necessarily tied to the human body or the human brain, but which, um, and we can talk about this kind of sense of cosmology or the sense of the nature of nature, which is not really described by modern physics, but is consistent with it. That might raise some alarm bells for some listeners, but um, that's my understanding. That there is, there, awareness is something that in a way precedes what we know in the physical world and therefore is more subtle than it and, then there, and is therefore accessible um, beyond the mere physical body, as it were, and we can talk. And that this talk will be something about what that actually means. Um, I spent my life as a lecturer, and I spent my life as a lecturer and yoga teacher, uh, collecting a lot of academic degrees um, and studying this in the ancient context from the Indian traditions. And I'm glad to be here talking to Eric Nouse, who's an amazing man. <laughs> Beautiful, <laughs> the, the other Eric. So. Uh, the academic degrees, just real brief. Yeah, I think you have three master's degrees. Is that correct, if I remember? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I was raised in a religious home, got a master's in religious studies in the Western traditions, um, worked in education, so I got a master's in special education. I taught special education in public schools for about nine years, private, public, public and private, and, uh, and then went back to school when my excitement for physical yoga 
began to accelerate in the year 2000 and did doctoral work um, on the Indian Hindu traditions. Um, didn't complete my doctorate, walked out the door and they threw another master's degree at me. That okay. Was in, that was in 2011. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, my my uh, background is uh, totally non-academic, and uh, you and I met about six years ago, I think. You, you uh, came out from San Francisco to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we spent a couple of days together talking about my direct experience I had in my cabin up in Colorado, right? That's where yeah. we started off. Yeah, so that was that's an amazing beginning. Yeah, and then we just had our friendship continue through that time. Uh, that was back in um, my experience occurred in uh, 2007, November 2006, and or I'm sorry, November 2007, and then into 2008 over about a nine month period. And uh, Eric and I stayed in contact with each other. And during that time, I started exploring biofeedback, neurofeedback, brainwave states, that sort of thing, to kind of understand what it was I was I had experienced. And so I come here today on this Saturday morning with my friend Eric to uh, continue the dialogue, but to share it with other people, because I think it's important that what your background and your your, your deep studies, coupled with my, frankly, uh, I say this in the kindest way towards myself, my naive experience, and I don't mean that like naive is bad, I just mean I just, I'm just learning, and I'm trying to put words to my experiences, and so, for our audience listening to this, Eric and I are going to try and kind of use my simple approach to my own direct experience as a kind of the meat of the conversation. And then we're going to kind of unbundle it from Eric's deep uh, uh, knowledge and my kind of surface level knowledge and kind of put words to what's happening. Does, does that make sense to you, Eric? I think that's what we agree to. Yeah, that works. Um... And I might just add as a coda to that, that uh, you may exceed me in actual psychic experience. I mean, I've, I've done the intellectual work, but that's kind of the, the cleanup work. It kind of follows in the train of the actual encounter and puts words to it. So we might be a really good tandem in that way. <laughs> we'll see Beautiful. how it plays out. Yeah. Beautiful. So uh, I read uh, two books in the last two weeks. <clears throat> this is uh, 2000. 19 Jan, uh, January 2019 uh, the first two books I read in Buddhism ever since I had my direct experience so I really didn't have any context for uh, describing what my experience was from a, a, a Buddhist uh, perspective and so this is my first attempt at kind of mapping it and understanding what it might mean to me and to other people uh, and then with your kind of mirroring back to me what you're hearing me say maybe we can anchor it in some words that make sense for a lot of people so the two books I read were uh, The Practice of Pure Awareness, written by Reggie Ray and published in 2018. So it's only been out in the last last uh, 12 months or so. And Reggie Ray is one of the co-founders of uh, Naropa there in Boulder, Colorado. Mm. And he wrote, the, he wrote the book and he said, it's time to start revealing the ancient traditions. He's 60 something years old and he wanted to share this knowledge. He took a, said he took a little heat uh, from the Buddhist uh Buddhism, Buddhists, and the, the people he knows, but he felt it was important to share this knowledge. And mm -hmm. so the book's called The Practice of Pure Awareness, and he really focuses on what's happening in this state when you first become aware of awareness itself, and then what do you do with it from that mm -hmm. point. And then the other book uh, was written by, uh, the, it was called The Attention 
revolution. I don't have the book with me, and the gentleman, uh, I don't have his last name. I, I should have had it with me. Anyway, his, uh, you can look it up, the, Atten the Attention Revolution. It was written about six years ago. And he focuses on uh, the practices, all the different uh, Buddhist practices of which there are like, I don't know, Eric, here's where you're the expert. There's more than one Buddhist tradition. And every one of them have taken apart and described this place of pure awareness with different terms. And they teach how to get there and how to hold it in different ways. But they're all pointing to the same phenomena, our own nature as being in physical form. And so I read these two books in the last few weeks. And uh, I'm going to speak from both of them, and I can't really keep track of where I heard what from because I read them at the same time. So, uh, but I want to—I'm going to refer to the what I learned from these two books and related to my own direct experience as we go forward. And then, uh, Eric, I think that's the—that's probably the best way to proceed. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's okay. That. So, over the last 12 years. Uh, I've, I've been teaching uh, what I learned in my cap and act, my cabin accidentally back in 2007. And that was when I sat still quietly and I breathed gently, and closed my eyes, that I would drop into a special place. It just felt good. I'm not in pure awareness right now, but I'm just, it felt good in my body. So I kept going there. And what I learned over a period of many months was that I could go inside and I didn't want to come out. It felt so good. It was like being in a nice, I don't want to, I'm not saying it's a dream, but it was like you have a nice space when you're sleeping or you're in bed and you just don't want to leave that place. You want to stay there. So I kept going to this place every day. And through this process of going in and staying there, I learned I could actually record my experience and follow the same process every day. So that was my practice. And what I want to talk about today is not so much that practice, but what I've kind of the culmination of what I've learned over the last 12 years, and that's this. I learned that whether your eyes are open or closed, your ability to focus your attention is the key to transformation. In fact, the, the transformation occurs within the vehicle of focusing attention. It is the ability to focus attention and th therefore focus energy, which becomes the vehicle in which I can observe and notice what's happening. So that's what I want to say at that point. I want to ask you, Eric, what do you know about what I just described? Is there a name for it in the formal traditions? Or am I describing something in a way that doesn't match anything that you know? Uh, no, it matches it precisely. Um, and we all know this experience. Um, to put it in probably the most the terms that most people would be familiar with, um, when we begin to drive a car, it takes extreme focus. We have to pay a very precise attention, attention, and this is true in any complex endeavor. But as we all know, by the time we've you know driven around for a few years, we can be eating McDonald's hamburgers or watching a video or involved in an emotional exchange with a friend, and still unconsciously drive a car usually pretty well but sometimes we also make mistakes um uh there's lots of words for these kinds of brain plans um uh, samskara is the one that immediately jumps to mind which is probably the most general term uh there's also other terms which point to certain characteristics of samskara um but it's a phenomena that we're all familiar with 
uh, we begin by focus, as you said, Eric. Focus is the key, and focus is the key to uh, success in anything. Um, and we rewire our consciousness so that it takes a set form. And again, this is where in the beginning I mentioned something about morphogenetic fields or morphogenic fields, um, fields of prana, fields of chitta, which is mind force. And I know this sounds all woo-woo, but um, anybody who's played with this at a deeper level is familiar with something of this phenomenon at an experiential level. And it's a long discussion that um, would take a lot to perhaps lay out carefully. But there are patterns of thinking, patterns of attention that we create um, out of attention itself, as it were, if we can think of attention as a substance, which might be a leap. And um, in setting those attention machines in motion as we might as we might say they operate automatically we merely throw a switch and we know how to boil an egg or we know how to have a com- a sales conversation or we know how to shoot a basketball in a complex way in a basketball court um all human skills are ultimately morphogenic fields they're energetic patterns which we have created through focus and will and intention and they have a life of their own and these happen at many levels they happen at cultural levels they happen at world consciousness levels yada 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 Well, cool. That means that what I described in my layman sort of way uh, yeah. actually maps to something that's studied widely and written about throughout tradition and history. Yeah, and, and if I can add something to that, if I might, um, there are patterns in the practical world, which I just described, but then there are also patterns we can create to transcend the pattern. Ah, so that's the, the pattern that I create to transcend patterns is actually my, what I'm calling the vehicle of focusing attention. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Beautiful. I'm glad we're capturing this. This is really, really where I wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, let me tell a little story. I, uh, the first time I really encountered someone who was enlightened, and I, you know, I just claimed they were enlightened from my own subjective experience, it was this amazing young uh, Buddhist tulku, um, which is the name of a guy in a holy order, and he came to my college, uh, University of California, Santa Cruz, crazy college that a lot of people know about, um, and he said many things that stuck in my consciousness way, way, way back, but one of them was he got this, there was this challenging person in the audience who was attempting to kind of corrupt his Buddhist logic, and he, he one of the answers he gave to this fellow, um, he said, yes, um, Christianity is a superstitious um, science is a superstitious in his funny broken English and he said and Buddhism is a superstitious but Buddhism is a superstitious which leads you to enlightenment and so by way that was his way of describing what we've just described Buddhism is a pattern like there are many patterns and I would argue even Christianity is one such pattern maybe I don't think he used the word Christianity that was my kind of um, jump in the moment um Buddhism is a pattern, just like there are other patterns, like the one you discovered naively, as you say, um, Eric, which leads us beyond pattern. Um, and that is the goal of many religious practices, especially at their mystic level. Beautiful. Well, this is a good start. Yeah. So in, in the in the, in the the book of uh, Pure Awareness, he describes uh, 
and this other gentleman, they, they're pointing to what's known in Buddhism as uh, moments. Mm. And are you familiar with the four moments? Have you heard that in your, in your research or studies? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Uh, but in my studies up to this moment, I, I have not. No, I, that's a new concept for me, but I, I, I like it. So, so again, I can't keep track of which book I read it from, but I'm just going to speak to the four moments. So the first, the, the first three moments occur within a half a second or 500 milliseconds. And this is where awareness comes into awareness itself. Mm. This is measured by uh, brain scans. So mm. this isn't somebody just making it up. They're actually watching what's happening in the brain and the parts of the brain where awareness comes into itself. Mm. Interesting. In the first three moments, in that first half second, the awareness comes into being. And at that point, awareness has a choice and it can choose to remain independent of the past and the future, which is the ego. Uh. And when I say it chooses, I mean you are the awareness choosing in that half millisecond to let go of the past and the future or the conditioned emotional states which make up your reality, both past, future and current reality. Mm. There's a moment of choice. Interesting. I like that. And, and because it happens in a half a second, if, you, if you're not skillful mm. in a kind of unbundling time, I don't know how to say it, uh, to place your awareness in the moment where time unfolds, mm. the moment between the moments, and observe the opportunity to choose, right. then you will, you will never get there. You can't get there because you can't show up. Yeah. So what I learned in my practice in my cabin was that I was, I learned to observe. And over the last 12 years, I got pretty good at watching and observing, even to the moment where I now experience, I believed I experienced this choice point of choosing to remain in pure awareness by letting go of attaching to the conditioned mind, the conditioned body, the habitual conditioned ego state. Mm. Which would probably be a really good definition for alignment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I really want to come away from these conversations we have, this one and ones to come, with kind of a languaging around, cleaning up the language around all the traditions and different ways of saying this, and really defining it in a way that we could teach it to a a group of uh, 12 year olds in a fifth grade class and that they get it right mm. that's ultimately where i'd like to go with this it's mm. a good aim okay so in this uh half a second uh there's a choice point and the key thing here for me as i practice with this and i sit here at the there's a there's a restaurant on the lake here at Lake Atalanta, Guatemala, and I'm looking out over this beautiful, huge lake with volcanoes in the background, beautiful blue sky, puffy clouds, t sparkling water, full sunny day, and I'm practicing letting go of that experience, exercising my nervous system by letting go of the nervous system. In other words, the ego, fear. When I you ever whenever I say fear, I mean ego but I like using the word fear. Whenever we're in a sympathetic state, the nervous system automatically gives meaning to the world. And I'm in a very, very beautiful place, which is absolutely easy 
to take in and attach to. So there's very little fear around that other than the fear I bring in my body from the past. Uh, I sit here and let go over and over again and I watch and I observe and I feel my nervous system make meaning out of the view that I see through my eyes. Mm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it sounds like you've retreated to a level of awareness which is a bit behind thought making. Beautiful. I love that. I love the way this is working because you're putting words to something I struggle finding words for. Yeah. Exactly. So what I learned from what I am learning when I when I say learn from I'm, I am still I'm always learning is that there's a difference between being a human being and a human becoming. Mm. And and that does that make sense to you those two words that what I just said? Yeah, sure, of course it does. So there are 7 billion humans being on a planet, but there are a, a, a much smaller number who are choosing to become. And the becoming occurs in that choice point in that half a second. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice that it's for it to be mapped out in terms of time in that way. Exactly. And the first three moments are described and I think in subsequent uh, conversations I think what we should do is have the book in front of us mm. maybe the page and the paragraph and we can people who want to read these books and kind of take our conversation as a kind of having you and I spelunking in a cave and coming out and writing about our spelunking adventure inside the cave right mm. and, and and other people can spelunk themselves hearing our conversation and maybe reading these books give them the background but The, the key thing I want to say is that as you come, as you go into these experiences and we describe them, we'll do the best we can to come up with a language uh, that helps other people go into the cave and come back out as well. Make yeah. sense? Nicely put. Okay. So what are your um, thoughts so far? What are you, what are you taking? Well, in? yeah, I mean, I, again, I mean, I, you know, I, I have my portfolio from the tradition and the way that they language this and um, this would be talked about in terms of the, the mental apparatus creating what we call Nama Rupa, creating name and form Nama, um, name and Rupa form. Um, the state of pure awareness is precedes that as you say in this kind of, and we can even you know as you say time it in this half second before it um, sets something into a shape, sets it something into something that has a kind of rational handle because when we're talking now of course even now what we're doing is we're creating rational handles and we're trying we're using the rational to describe what is non-rational um as they say the the tao that can the tao that can be described is not the tao and the reason they say that is because to say to speak to describe to put something in descriptive terms is actually that process of slipping into form which we're talking about not being in um so in effect we can only create the finger that as they say that points to the moon we're not creating the moon we're not necessarily creating pure awareness here but we are referencing it and building a superstitious as my toku friend said um that helps us to escape the quote-unquote superstition of rational thought the way that we create concrete forms which we can get attached to and therefore have fear around um which further closes down our capacity to feel at this non-local and more open and more creative level 
I love the way you think. (laughs) (laughs) This is really helpful. So the first three are the moment of choice. Mm. And without getting into breaking them down now, we can do that in, in later podcasts. But the next point is the fourth moment is also called something to be experienced. Mm. And it is something to be experienced because it is beyond time. Mm. It's beyond ego or beyond fear. So the, 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 the something to be experienced is that which occurs through choice and through as you said earlier, I'm mean, going to use your turn now, creating patterns yeah. or the vehicle in which we can access and travel within to just to describe the irrational. Yeah. Or the non-rational. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The no, yeah, not you're right. Yeah, the non-rational. Thank you. Yeah. So the fourth moment is what I experienced back on October of... Uh, l- l- this is January, so October 2018. I was in, I want to describe this briefly for everyone. Uh, I went to Pana, which is across the lake, and every all the travel on Lake Atitlan is by lancha. There's no roads that connect all the villages. You have to cross the lake on boats. So a friend of mine, uh, two friends of mine, a man and a woman, nameless, uh, called me up and said, you want to go to Pana today? And uh, I said, yeah, I have something to do. So we got in a boat, got in a launcher, 20 minutes across the lake. We landed at the dock. I've been at this dock at Pana Achel uh, 40, 50 times since I've, I've been here down there four years, at least that many times. And when I got off the boat and I paid the launch captain for my boat fee, I looked up and nothing looked familiar, nothing. Mm. And we walked on the lot, the dock to the mm. land. Yeah. And I turned around and said, "Where is? Where are we? This is a different launch. This is a different launch area, different ramp." And they said, "No, no, that's where we always go." And I says, "It looks so different." And they said, "No, it's the same place we always go." So I thought, "Huh, okay." I didn't agree with them, but what was I to say? I says, "Okay." So we walked up the hill. We got on the cobblestone paths and then we took a turn and I says where are we I don't recognize anything and they were very kind to me they said well it's you're you're where we always go and I quietly said to myself okay but why does everything seem different it doesn't I don't remember I don't remember any of this so we kept walking we walked for two hours. We went to a hardware store and we did other things. And I was interacting with people. And when we walked back, I says, I, I don't recognize any of this. And we walked and we walked and we came back up the, a big a big road called Santander. And when we took a left and I said, well, I recognize this. This is the corner of such and such. And one of the people with me said, yeah, we were here earlier. I said, no, we weren't. No, we weren't. This is the first time we've been here today. And they said, no, we walked up here earlier. Mm. Then I kind of said, I think I should stop talking because I think this is getting <laughs> kind of weird. And so we walked down the path and we continue going and the more we walked. Then I said, oh, I remember this. Now I remember this. I says, I know where we are. And they said, yeah, we were here earlier. I says, okay, fine, fine. So we walked down, got on the launcher. I recognized everything. Everything was then familiar. We got on the launcher and they said, don't you remember being here earlier? And I said, no, I don't. But I remember it now. And we got on the launcher and we all went home. Uh, and that was it. 
And I remember thinking later in that day, going, "What happened today? That was so interesting. That I was walking on the same earth. I was walking with them, but nothing was familiar. But I wasn't. I wasn't concerned. There was no fear. There was no pushback. It was like, oh, this is interesting. The green, the greens were greener. The air was clearer. There's a little kid going by in a a bassinet. Or a, yeah. a walker, yes, yeah, yeah. And so, what you're what you're describing there is very much that feeling that we get when we travel that、um, makes travel so exciting. Is that we we force ourselves to go to a place that we've never been to, you know, either domestically or internationally, and our pure awareness wakes up because that's all we have to organize the scene in front of us. And somehow you found a way to get there, even in the midst of familiarity. And sometimes we all have those moments. Like I think a lot of us, at least I have these moments when I come home to my apartment after being out for the day. There's a, there's a moment where I come into my apartment and I can feel that I have the opportunity. I know I have the option to slip into a pattern of thought and sight and all that stuff, and I can feel that openness. And usually, if I'm on top of it, I'll say a little prayer at that moment. Like I'll just review where I've been and. Look at the, my day, or what happened before, and kind of bless the moments to come, and kind of hang out a little bit in that unmapped territory,、um, which this term pure, pure awareness describes.、Um, and just to riff on that a bit more, there's this concept, of course, in postmodern thought that the map is not the territory, and that's partly what we're trying to parse here: is that there is. The mistake, and from this point of view, it's called mistake, though it does have advantages, to see only the map and to not see the territory, to see only our projection rather than to see the real. And、um, you, through your your time and effort, what you found a way to do, Eric, is to spontaneously and intentionally, but also it seems partly you've now created a habit, so it happens automatically. Fall into that place where you no longer see the map. You only see the territory, and therefore, it doesn't seem to follow any pattern, and you're you're a bit lost. Beautiful. I love the way you say this. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this is why this is a good team because you、uh, articulated in a in a more、uh, there's more clarity in your words, but、yeah. you're you're capturing the essence of what I'm pointing to, and I I love that. Thank、yeah. you. So. So I thought about what had happened, and I waited.、Uh, I think I waited four or five days, and then I went to Facebook, and I was so touched by what happened. I wanted to know if anybody else had ever could could identify with what I was describing. So I posted on my face face my Facebook yeah my Facebook page this experience, and in the next four or five hours, like sixteen people wrote about their experiences.、Mm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was able to capture it enough and clearly enough that the other people identified with it. So that made me feel good.、Uh, that I mean, I guess I, I'm saying when I say it made me feel good, that meant I felt bad. I didn't. I was just curious. I wasn't like threatened or concerned or anything. It was like I was like, this is kind of magical. I wonder if anybody else has found this magic、yeah. and had this experience. The answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I moved to Dallas two years ago, and you know I'm still getting the map of this city in my mind、um, set. But I I kind of have those spontaneous experiences sometimes when I come up onto 
a neighborhood that I spend a lot of time in, but I approach it from a different street. And I, I find myself in that state, like, whoa, this is totally new. And, and then there's a shadow in the back of my brain, which is said, no, 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 Eric, this is that place. And I can feel that I could, you know, back up a few steps and fall into that previous map. But most of the time I don't because it's just so pleasurable. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm just going to stay here and see this place as if I just arrived here from France or something. And I don't recognize any of it. It's not Dallas. It's not this neighborhood. It's just some place. And usually what happens in that the midst of such an experience is you have more emotion. You have more taste. There's more there's more sense of kind of feeling color to your um, encounter with reality and um, your, your, your heart as it, as it were opens I think it does because if you don't have your head to, to create a screen through which the heart projects itself the heart is operating on its own and it's operating much more energetically you, you feel heart you feel more of your transcendent humanity in, in those moments beautiful beautiful so I started thinking about what is what were the conditions that were present before I got on that launch of that day and went to Pana to have this experience this is what I'm going to call the pure awareness, pure awareness experience yeah what brought it, that? what practices what habits yeah yeah what was I doing in my nervous system so prior I've been using the heart math m-wave for five years and uh, I uh, was practicing every day with the M-Wave and I've mastered the highest level of achievement and uh, I'm not going to get into the numbers, it doesn't matter, but I basically have able to, am able to achieve a coherent state and hold it for 20 minutes in a fairly high state and I've always increased that 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 state of coherence over time, so I'm, I think it's fair to say I'm pretty good at uh, going into coherence, which means for people listening, it means that my heart and my brain, both electromagnetically and biochemically, are in synchron synchron synchronicity, and they're in coherence, and so they're operating together, and that that's good for my body. The science says that's a good thing. So I'm practicing every day for 20 minutes, and one of the things I added to my practice uh, five or six weeks before this occurrence in Pana. I started toning. I started making vowel sounds. Ah, eh, e, o, u. Just like you, it's like, like om when you're oming in, uh, in yoga is om or ka or kai or u or hey. Just vowel sounds. And and I, I found on uh, YouTube a uh, audio which is just goes on like for two hours but it's called kototama k-o-t-o-d-a-m-a in japanese mm -hmm. and there's a and it's it's a sound it's 432 megahertz mm -hmm. and there's a there's a gentleman in the background making vowel sounds and it was just pleasing i won't get into the story how i came across this and all that it's another story another day but i sat down with this youtube audio with my headset on and I listened to it, and then I started randomly making tones with my voice, mm -hmm. not following him, not trying to do what he was doing, but just making tones, whatever felt good. And then there was this quality of this uh, uh, polytonal quality where if my voice and his voice crossed 
in time, a new tone would come out of that, which was interesting. But the point of all this is focusing attention. But each time I picked a new vowel sound, I had to focus my vocal cords and my energy. Attention is energy. So I focused energy and attention around that new tone. And as I transitioned through the tones, I focused energy. So I was I was focusing energy, focusing attention while using the M wave. And my coherence scores consistently went up two full points when I was toning mm-hmm. using the M wave. Yeah. And what I would suspect is happening there is that the these basic tones that give us something of a bliss state that we hear readily when we make a sound like um uh, there's a religious term for these we call them ululations but i, I think they, there's a scientific base for them as there is a scientific base for all religious experience and in this case it's my guess it's, it might be confirmed by research through heart math or something else i have to explore that more to know but it's those are the megahertz those are the um chords those are the sound wave patterns and I'm not an expert on sound that are properly resonant for the coherent state they are the resonant um frequency for the heart and the mind that is a rough approximation for most humans and so when we make those sounds we get coherent and we feel the benefit which is a, a bliss state and a non rational pleasurable encounter with reality It feels correct to me. It sure does. Yeah. And so and so uh the question then is uh well, at that point in time, I had to question well what really happened. I didn't have a way to describe it. 16 people mm-hmm. on Facebook validated to some degree that they too had similar experience, if not very 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 similar experience pointing to the same quality. Mm-hmm. Uh so that's what caused me or motivated me to uh read the the practice of pure awareness then it was in the practice of pure awareness that i found these three moments and i said that's what i experienced that's it that's it and that's the first time i had a name for it hmm. uh so i'm really glad i wrote down and shared my experience on facebook uh 6 7 weeks before i read the book because uh it'd be tougher to You know what I'm saying? As you read a book and the book puts ideas in your mind and you your mind creates the ex- almost like colors the experience by reading the book. In this case it wasn't yeah. the case. I I had the experience in the book and the writing of the three moments actually pointed to this. Yeah. Uh and so it was kind of nice to for that to unfold that way. Yeah. And now it just occurs to me I, I when you introduce that concept of the four moments to me nothing rang a bell but now a bell is ringing and that is um there are there is a description in the hindu tradition not the buddhist tradition but of course the buddhist tradition came out of the hindu tradition thousands of years ago um but uh in the hindu tradition there's a mapping of the states of mind and there is a fourth state of mind which is said to be the utmost state and it's called the turiya state um and that is a goal of of practice to attain turiya to come to that place of as i one way to say it is of non-local awareness or pure awareness well there it is yeah, yeah good 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 yeah. okay so now that we know that uh we can uh 
obviously in my case, I can only speak to my experience. In my experience, I can sit quietly uh, in a chair. I can breathe uh, approximately six breaths a minute. Uh, I can invoke a high state of coherence with biofeedback from the HeartMath M-Wave technology clicked to my ear. It's giving me feedback. I've already been practicing for a long time, so I have some skill there. I added the toning to it. It increased my coherence scores by two full points. And uh, something very, very beautiful and wonderful and magical happened to me while I was walking in the world, not sitting in a chair in a dark room with my eyes closed. Mm. Toning. It was, it was walking around. And that was crazy good. Yeah. Cool. So, nice so now I... <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I said that's a nice report. Yeah, so then I said, okay, so what's the point? I mean, what's good about this? I mean, okay, so they've been writing about it for thousands of years, the Hindu and the Buddhists, and then uh, I've, I've studied a little bit about cognitive behavioral therapy, and they're pointing to these things. Not exactly this, but they're pointing, the, the, the mainstream psychotherapists, clinical psychologists are starting to move into these places. But the, the reason I don't think they talk about it so much is because they're not about empowering the patient to develop these skills they're about guiding the patient through their own experience with their help as the observer on their behalf the, the, the psychologist in the chair is the observer on behalf of the client creating a safe space for them to journey into their own experience but they're not empowering the client to develop the skills to guide themselves in their own journey how does that feel um well i mean i guess that's their approach um maybe it's not the ideal one <laughs> because ultimately of course we want to empower people to uh attain these states because they do have their value we could we could talk more about that um their value vis-a-vis the work of mapping i mean, I mean you know now we're getting into larger philosophical questions around how we operate and why we operate and why we make the choices to assume certain mental states and avoid other mental states um of course, the sannyasi tradition, the renunciant tradition in all all traditions, um, monkish traditions, retreat traditions, is to unplug from activity in the world, and that seen in and of itself to have a discrete value, um, not only to society in a practical way, but also in and of itself. It's just valuable to pursue pure awareness because it is uh, a priori, an ultimate value. Um, from a practical point of view which most of our listeners are going to be approaching this from we might say well, well why go there why you know it's like you know going to sleep what's what's the value in that state of mind to, to just dream um as it were even though this isn't dreaming but that same kind of non-productive state why is it valuable and if we take it apart a bit and and talk about its value i mean it of course has that ultimate value of, of just attuning us with our higher consciousness um which I say is a priori. It, 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 it doesn't need other, any other justification. But then if we do want to be refreshed, if we do want to be more functional in the world, if we do want to be more creative, access to this state um, to give us, you know, health, wealth, love, and happiness, those goals that all humans are wanting to ground into in their, you know, lived lives, then it is a skill that we want to cultivate for 
practical reasons because staying in that momentary state is where all possibility and creative response happens it's finding that gap between action and reaction where we are more fully ourselves and can express ourselves in multivalent ways and and attain life goals if you're goal is happiness if your goal is health if your goal is wealth if your goal is love um, or some variation on those four basic forms of um, aim um, this state helps you to move to those places wow wow beautiful it feels that feels true to me so the we've we're about 44 minutes into this and i want to wrap it up i think within the hour we go come back and do other chats around this but i wanted to yeah bring this yeah back. Let's, let's 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 look to wrap it up let's maybe maybe 45 minutes is good okay i just want to make a kind of set this up for our next chat is yeah. that um the the work done in mainstream medical community dr herbert benson at harvard medical school at boston general hospital uh, started back in 1974, and he just wrote a book uh, uh, in 2010 and published results where he teaches a uh, practice to sit quietly and breathe into your body and for 25 minutes invoke what he calls a relaxation response. And in that response, he's basically guiding the person into a state where there's no past, there's no future. They're focused entirely on the breath. And in that state, it's a refresh state for the human nervous system. And I say it's a refresh state and a, re a place to reinvigorate is because they've done what they call microarray analysis of the DNA expression. And in that state, 440, 433 genes uh, activated which were relevant to the immune system operating better and fighting disease. So the clinical trials were been conducted hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times. The book called The Relaxation Revolution documents the diseases are actually directly affected by reinvigorating the nervous system by sitting quietly for 25 minutes and breathing it's expressed a minute not unlike what i've been doing so to connect us for future chats is that i believe uh that there's a connection between dr brinson's work and the state of pure awareness i'm not suggesting he's invoking the state of pure awareness but somewhere he's getting he's he's helping people move towards that in this practice they don't have to go into pure awareness to change gene expression to invigorate the immune system to fight disease apparently but it's definitely a conversation to have because i believe in that state of pure awareness it's there's the qualities of not being in the past ego which is where memory and fear and hormonal uh states exist where disease occurs and in that place of pure awareness where you're free from that and i think there's some sort of recharge or refresh that occurs in that state of pure awareness yeah and, and again it's, it comes back to this question of morphogenic or morphogenetic feel which is a good theoretical framework for explaining a lot of these phenomena the sickness the body is naturally healthy um that's a a priori statement either you believe that or you don't the the body is naturally healthy and then we create mental forms usually they can be also genetically passed on through family lines or through the presence of others um that create sickness and so when you move beyond that through awareness when you move into this pure unpatterned state where you've gone beyond morphogenic fields you have a, an opportunity to re-enter into this mapped state 
of mortal living and create patterns which are more functional. So anywhere along that continuum beyond the pattern, it might not be ultimately to the purest of pure awareness, but the more you moved into that unpatterned state of mind, the more you move into a higher energy state, a state where more energy is accessible to you, that you have the opportunity to rechannel back into the body to come back into the body from that 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 state or to actually be in the body in that state so that it is functioning as it was designed to function which is quote unquote healthily um so that would be a description from the perspective of this cosmology to explain that phenomena but from what i understand i think i perused that book spencer is on top of that he he really is mapping it back to the meditation traditions so though i could be wrong Yeah, uh Dr. Benson traveled around the world and went to India and went to the monks that were drying out the wet cloths with their bodies. Yeah, yeah I think I recall that. that. Yeah. Yeah, he did a lot of that work and then came back to you know mainstream American uh academia and medical science and uh did this back engineered uh, this, it. Yeah, yeah, he reverse engineered it exactly yeah. and came back and said, "Wow, this is how it works." So, uh I really enjoyed just chat today. Uh I, how do you feel? What's your what are you experiencing now? How what do you what do you experience? Oh, always a pleasure to talk to you, Eric. <laughs> and and it's fun to talk to um an audience with an audience looking on. Hopefully someone will listen to this. <laughs> well, what I think I'll do is uh I have to in order for you and I to share this, I have to learning about the app, the Anchor app. I have to publish this in the Anchor community then you can listen to it yourself. Uh and uh if you feel comfortable right now then I'll do that but if you want yeah. to reflect on what well, you're good you're good to go yeah let's do it yeah and then we'll maybe we'll share it on social media give people Excellent. a chance to listen to it yeah and then from this i think we've we've laid out a uh man a number of topics could come out of this conversation are endless but uh it's that's true because we're talking about the nut of of human awareness aware of itself in that a half a millisecond of coming to a point of choice and then choosing to as you say create a new beyond the maps right beyond the familiar maps yeah. and create a place from which to occur from which is totally new which yeah. is crazy good and exciting yeah yeah it's a great great thing to to aim towards to work towards yes and hopefully we can encourage people to go there we'll give them some some maps for getting there exactly Okay my friend uh to you thank you so much uh I really enjoyed this I think we're on track with this uh, the approach we're taking and uh hopefully we'll get some comments back from people who listen to this and say uh when's the next podcast uh, and we'll we'll come we'll come forward with that uh in the future yeah let's generate some interest okay all right, all right signing off Eric adios my friend all right till next time